If you have your Bibles, would you open it up to Romans chapter 5? If you uh, weren't here in the last couple weeks, you wouldn't know that I was gone to Africa for a little bit, um, but got back this last week. Um, left on February 10th to go serve in the Kawangwari uh, ghetto. It's the slums of Nairobi, outside of Nairobi. And um, quarter million people live in these little 8 by 10 shacks in this area where we were serving at. Took a medical team over with us, and then while I was there, I got to lead a, a pastor's conference. There were um, 90 pastors that had gathered, and I got to teach them theology, so that was fun for me. Um, so I taught them Romans chapter 1, and it took us two months to get through it, right? I did that with them in a week. So they left with their eyes like all bugged out and like, oh man, I just took a drink from a fire hydrant. Um, it, it was really, really good um, interchange. Everything just went like exactly like it was planned. And uh, um, Luke, who was with us, he got sick one day. And Mackenzie, my daughter, who was with us, she got sick one day. But otherwise, everything went perfect on the trip. And the medical team saw 826 patients while they were there. I know, isn't that amazing? So um, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But um, David Katanga, who leads that ministry where we served at, uh, this guy's amazing. He got his PhD from Michigan State University in education, and he took his training, took his degree, and went to the slums of Nairobi, and he launched this ministry area. And they feed and care for 850 children every day. Every day they're educating those kids. Every day they're feeding those kids showing them what a new standard of life looks like. It's an amazing thing. And then David also leads a church of 1,000 people. He's a senior pastor of that. And then he's also trained 125 pastors to go out into Kenya and plant churches. So he's like a real slacker, right? Uh, it just <laughs> it absolutely humbles you when, you when you walk with this guy. And so um, last week he told me that the cancer that he had four years ago, he had kidney cancer, um, that cancer was treated then, but it's returned. And so I want to pray with you this morning for David. He had surgery this last week, Tuesday. Um, they removed a kidney. I think the surgery went really well, but we haven't had a lot of update, and I'm looking forward to getting inf more information. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me for, for David and what God's doing among those individuals there. I'll tell you a little bit more about Nairobi next week, and a little bit will come out today. Um, but also, a, a couple here in our church I'd like to ask you to pray with me about. Jim and Jamie Andrews, I think some of you are aware, lost their little girl. Um, she's 18 months old, and she died a week and a half ago. And Gary led the funeral this last week, Wednesday, for that. I just want to pray with you that God's comfort and peace would just surround them. So let's join together, church, in prayer. Father, we come before you with open hearts. We're really surrendered as a result of... Um, singing worship songs, and just by the fact of being in this place this morning, we're at a place where we want to hear from you. But at the same time, Father, we, we want to lift up before you people in our own body who have struggles. There's many hurts represented here. You know what those hurts are. You know every one of us intimately. God, we know that you're incredibly aware of what we struggle with. But we pray, first of all, for our brother in Christ, David Katanga, and his wife, Anne, and we just lift him up before you. And Ask that you would bring him off that bed of sickness, that you would completely restore him. We believe, Father, that you want the best for the people of Kenya. And so we ask that you would continue to work through David and that you would restore him to complete physical strength and you would remove the cancer from his body. Father, we also pray for Jim and Jamie in the midst of this loss of little Allison. God, that you would be close to them and that you would strengthen them. Father, right in this moment, we know that they're struggling, especially since the funeral. 
God, that you would give them a peace that passes understanding, that your Holy Spirit would come around them and it would just rest upon their household, especially in the times when despair sets in. Father, remind them of who they are to you and that they're precious to you. For every one of us who's gathered now to study your word, we ask that you would speak to us through the, the power of your Holy Spirit through what you've had Paul write down in the book of Romans. God, what we can't see on our own, reveal it to us. Reveal it to us through your power. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I left on the 10th of February for Africa, it was obvious to observe, and anybody knows this still today, uh, half of our nation is raging against the new administration in the White House. And half of our nation finds itself trying to defend the new, nation, or new administration in the White House. And, you know, there's this angst that's come over the country, a uh, feeling almost of separation. Get to Nairobi and found that internet connections are really, really weak. And um, I'm kind of a news junkie trying to keep myself updated on things that are going on, but can't get much news um, where I was at. And television has only got like Nairobi TV. And so if you don't speak Swahili, you're out of luck. And, right? and, and my Swahili is like Akuna Matata, and that's all I got. And it's amazing when you say that to people over there, like, whoa, that's really good. Yeah. Say, thank you. Disney is my teacher. Yeah, right? So you, you got nothing in the way of connection other than occasional phone calls. Um, and while I was gone, there in the Kawangwari ghetto, people were served. People with medical needs were, were met with their needs, and people were saved. People came to faith in Christ. So people were served, people were ministered to, people were saved to come back to the United States, and I find that half the nation is still raging um, against, and half the nation is still trying to defend. And, and God really pressed something upon my heart this week that I felt that he wanted me to say to us as a church, don't let it consume you, okay? Don't let the political environment or the media activity consume your life to the degree that it, it takes over. Because the political environment or the media activity is not going to lead one single person into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, and when you let it consume you, it takes you out of your highest priority, your highest calling, which is to be Jesus here on earth. So we hear Paul in Romans 1.16 say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. See, there's only one thing that's going to save people. It's the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So we hear that in Romans 1 and in Romans 4 where we left off at last time. We need this reminder. There's 14 words I want to show you. These 14 words is where we left off at in verse 25. Jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. I, I especially want to bear down on those last five words. Raised because of our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof of your justification. If you deny the resurrection of Jesus, you deny the power of God to save you. Because with a dead Jesus, your justification is impossible. So the evidence of the payment, the evidence of the acceptance of the payment is the resurrection. If you're new to church, maybe this stuff I'm talking about is not familiar to you, let me put it this way. 
We all go to shopping stores, we go to Kroger, we go to Meijer, we go to Home Depot, places where we have to make payment for the goods that we pick up. If you use a credit card or a debit card, you've got to insert your card with that little chip into the device that accepts your payment. Uh, while you're standing there trying to get your goods, there's somebody watching over, and you watch the little machine with the wheels spinning, waiting for proof of payment that you're accepted. The payment in this case is the cross. The death on the cross of Jesus is the payment. The proof of the payment being accepted, being approved, is the resurrection. Therefore, as a result of the proof being accepted, you are justified. The justification is something you could never achieve in your own power. Uh, if you're new to church, just think it through this way. These things that I'm describing right now, these are the reasons why Jesus' people have hope. It's the reasons why we go to Africa. It's the reasons why we go to the streets of Lansing or why we serve in the campuses of MSU. Because we have the reality that there's good news here and it'll change lives here on earth and it'll change lives for eternity. So I want to show you that even while you might be living in the midst of strife right now, maybe you've got some really messed up things going on in your life, you can absolutely have peace with God. You can know peace with God. I'm going to take you to Romans 5, verse 1. I'm going to show you, and maybe you pulled your notes out of the bulletin already, four effects of your justification. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's effects that come from your justification. Let's go to verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word therefore is connecting everything that he just said in chapter 4. He's, he's hunkering back. You've been justified by faith. Therefore, big therefore, therefore, because you're justified by faith, we have peace with God. So the very first effect of your justification, you see it on the screen? The very first effect of your justification is we have peace with God. I, I hope you got your amens on this morning because you're going to need them, all right? This means you're at harmony with God. We know when things are not in harmony musically, you can pick it up instantly. You don't even have to be a trained musician to hear things that are out of harmony. Scripture's saying you're at peace with God, meaning you're in harmony with God, and it's immediate. It's not progressive. It's not something that happens over a period of time. I want to, uh, Jody's going to put back on the screen the verse that we just looked at. Look in with me at a few words. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You notice that's present tense? It's not something future. It's something that you have right now. Many of your blessings as a follower of Jesus Christ are future. One day you're going to get a new body. Whether you like the body that you have or not, God's got something better in store for you, right? You're going to get a new body. You're going to get glorification. You get crowns to wear. You get to walk the streets of gold. You're going to get reunited with people who have gone on before you if they are believers in Jesus. All those things are future. We have something now. We have peace with God. It's present tense. And this peace with God is established the instant that you trust in Jesus. So Paul says, therefore, therefore, because you're justified, we have peace with God. You know what that translates to in the Greek language? It translates this way. Therefore, let us enjoy the peace that we have, meaning no fear. You can live without fear. Now note what Paul is speaking of here. He's speaking of peace with God, not the peace of God. He's not referring to a feeling. He's, he's referring to a fact here. Feelings will betray you. Feelings will come and go. We just prayed for the peace of God to be on Jim and Jamie Andrews' house. 
Because why? Because our feelings betray us and we, we feel destitute and we feel despair. So we pray for the peace of God. But he's talking about the peace with God here in Romans 5. The peace with God is a fact. It's something that belongs to you. Now the inward peace, the peace of God, is very important. I don't want to diminish that. Many of you are familiar with Philippians 4, 7. I'll just put it up on the screen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts. But that's not the primary aspect here of Romans 5. Because you are justified, because you believe in Jesus Christ, you are no longer tormented by the questions of, am I really saved? Is my eternal destiny secure? What if I do something wrong? God says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are at peace with God. And that's a relationship in which all hostility ceases. It's like God shouting, cease fire! No longer under the wrath of God. Remember Romans chapter 1? For the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness. That wrath is removed because you're at peace with God. So the peace with God leads to the peace of God. And peace with God, like we talked about being in harmony, it does something for you. When you're at peace with God, it allows you to live in harmony with other people. It allows you to live in harmony with yourself when you recognize, yeah, that's right, I've been forgiven. I want to encourage you this morning. God wants to encourage you to lay hold of the fact that you are justified. Do you remind yourself of that often enough? Maybe you need to do that verbally right now. That would be a good exercise for us. Let's do it on three. Let's say, I am justified. One, two, three. I am justified. You know, let yourself understand that. You are at peace with God. No matter if you're new to the faith or you've been raised in church, Romans is saying this. Do you get it? Do you get this? Celebrate the fact that you are at peace with God. I'm good with God. My eternity is secure. So justified by faith in Christ, regardless of how you may feel at any given moment. Now, that's verse 1. We're only going to do two verses this morning. I want to take you into verse 2, and it's going to show you the other three effects of your justification. Let's go to verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now, let's just review. The first effect of your, your, your justification is what? you got peace with God. Here's the second effect of your justification. you got access to the Father, meaning through Jesus, we are ushered into the throne room of God. In the Greek language, the way that this phrase is used is very specifically speaking of someone who came to the palace of a king and wanted an audience with the king. It required someone who was a court attendant to go out and receive the visitor and bring them and usher them into the presence of the reigning monarch. So it's speaking of someone of very, very high standing receiving an individual of lower standing and bringing them into their throne room, into the presence. I don't know if you have an NIV version of the Bible with you this morning. Um, NIV is New International Version. I don't mean to rag on it, but there's a, there's a misuse of a word here. It uses the word access. Uh, the, the rendering is inadequate. It falls a little bit short, and here's why. It leaves out the fact, when you use the word access, it leaves out the fact that we don't come in our own strength. In other words, we need to be ushered in. 
We need an introducer. That's why verse 2 says, we have obtained our introduction by faith. Here's your first Greek word this morning. You'll see it up on the screen. This particular word is talking about access. It's talking about admission. It's only used three times in the entire Bible. One example is Ephesians 2. I'll show you that in just a moment. In every case, it's used of Jesus bringing us in. Let me show you Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.18. For through Him, the Him is Jesus, for through Him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. If you lived in the first century, if you were one of the ancients, especially an ancient Jew, the concept of having access to God absolutely blow your mind. The, the concept of coming before God meant to die because to see God was to die. Think of the temple that was constructed way before Jesus lived and is still standing when Jesus is walking planet earth. Individuals knew their boundary lines. There was the court of the women, there's the court of the Gentiles, there's the court of men. Each one had its own boundary line of how far you could go. But only one person on one day a year could go into the Holy of Holies, that being the high priest. And he went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. When he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to have a rope tied around his waist. And they put bells into the hem of his garment. As long as they stood outside and they could hear the bells ringing, they knew that that person had done nothing to offend God. But if the bells stopped ringing, grab onto that rope and start towing that baby out because he had offended God. He went before God unclean. The concept of coming before God to the ancients was absolutely outside of the realm of thinking. It's unthinkable. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he made God accessible to any person if they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Because of his death, he removed the barrier to God's presence. You want to read more about it? Go to Matthew chapter 27 later today. Read about the crucifixion of Jesus, and we're told that as a result of him taking his last breath and saying, it is finished, we're told the very next thing that happened is that the temple veil, the one that was one foot thick, interwoven with thread, was shredded from the top to the bottom, separating the Holy of Holies was no longer a separation because God allowed access to him, a symbolic image for everyone, that there was no longer a separation. So then we end up with Hebrews 4.16, and it says, therefore, you see it on the screen? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace with what, church? With, with confidence. Let us draw near with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Because of Jesus, we find ourselves with access to a relationship you could never get on your own. It wouldn't be possible, but because he ushers us into the presence of God through what he did, we've got access to God the Father. Uh, that's the first two effects. Let's go over them again. The first effect is justification, is peace with God. The second effect of your justification, you've got access to the Father. Here's the third one. You are secure for eternity. Verse 2 says, we stand, right? We stand. I want to help you understand this because in the Greek language, certain words are used in certain tenses. So we stand is two words in the English language. In, in the Greek language, it's one word. It's the word histome. And it's written in the perfect tense. 
So when something is in the perfect tense, it means it's something that happened in the past that has an effect today that continues on into eternity. Here's a a visual to help you understand this thought. Pick up a stone, stand at the edge of a pond, throw the stone into the pond. The stone disappears, but the ripple effect continues on. The waves echo out. Something is done in the past that has an effect in the present that continues on into the future. That's the word histome. It says we stand. Why do I focus on this? There's a sense of permanence here. There's a sense of understanding we are firm and immovable in this salvation in Jesus Christ. Not because of what we've done, not because of our own strength, but because of Jesus and what He does. Because of His ability to keep us. Yes, we live in a fallen world. And yes, believers fall into sin, right? We, we all fall into sinful behavior. I asked that in the Saturday night service. A whole bunch of hands went up like they were admitting sinful behavior. I didn't ask anybody to do that. I'm not asking you to do that, right? We live in a fallen world, so we fall into sinful behavior. And I'm not talking about habitual, I don't care what you want of me, God, type of sin. I'm talking about we fall into sinful patterns sometimes. But sin, get your amens ready, Sin, sin is not more powerful than God's grace. It's not. Sin is not more powerful than God's ability. We stand in His grace, it says right there. So if there is no sin too great for Jesus' death to cover before you're a believer, you think that you've outsinned God? Maybe you're not a believer yet. You think that I've committed too much in my past, Mark. I can't get there. There's no sin that you can commit that God can't forgive. If you think that God can forgive sins before you're a believer, why wouldn't He be able to do it? That that, that He wouldn't be able to forgive sin after you're a believer? There's no committed sin that's too great for His grace to keep you standing. Let me amplify this for you. I need a volunteer to read verse 10. We're in Romans 5. Somebody let their eyes drift down to verse 10. Paul brings this part out. So I need one person to read it for me really loud. Anybody got verse 10 right there? Yeah, go ahead. Can you stand up and read it really loud for everybody? Absolutely, perfect. Thank you very much. Saved through his death, much more, much more reconciled through his life. See, if the Savior's death brings us to God's grace, a living Savior can keep us there. So you've got a really, really old Paul. He's writing a book called Timothy. We, we've got First and Second Timothy in our Bibles. He's an old man, and he's writing to a young man who's pastoring a church. His name is Timothy. And he uses a phrase that the church has come to love throughout thousands of years. It, it reads like this. I want you to see it up on the screen. Second Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed... And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. See, somebody ought to write a song based on that verse, right? Somebody did, actually. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Let's go over those four things now. We've got these first three justification effects. Let's look at the fourth one. The first one, you got peace with God. The second one, you got access to the Father. The third one, you are secure for eternity. And the fourth effect of your justification is we have reason to celebrate. 
This word exalt that's used there, and verse 2 is going to come up on the screen, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. This word exalt is actually attached to the understanding of boasting. Uh, what do you think of when you think of somebody boasting? You think somebody with their chest puffed out and like being obnoxious almost, right? Like talking too much about the things they've got when they boast. Well, that's in a negative sense. In a positive sense, boasting is something you have confidence in. So the word that's used here, this Greek word is, is kaukakamai, really, really big $10 word. It essentially is talking about vaunting. Now, there's something you don't hear in the English language every day. What does it look like to vaunt? Well, to boast, right? To glory in something. So Paul's writing here, we vaunt. We boast. Why? In the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to use a little video from Africa right now. I'm going to set it up for you to help you to understand why I'm using this. I want you to see visible evidence, demonstration of celebration, okay? And um, these guys are going to set a bar for you, right? Okay, here's what's going on. Um, I'm on the uh, first day of teaching in the pastor's conference. And I'm sitting off to the left-hand side, and there's 90 pastors out there, and uh, David Katanga is sitting next to me in a chair. And all the guys who are there stand up and begin celebrating. They're clapping and praising God, and they're singing really loud. And uh, I'm just watching and enjoying it. And, and David lets it go on a little while, and then he leans over to me, and he says, Mark, if you uh, get up, they will stop. So okay. I didn't know that. And, and I, I was curious because they're singing in Swahili. They speak English, but they're singing in Swahili. I don't understand what they're saying. And I said, David, wh what are they saying? What are they singing about? He said, they're celebrating. I said, well, I know that. I can see them. You know, hands are up. And he said, well, they're celebrating that they get to hear the word of God. I'm like, oh, man, I want to crawl under the chair at that point. Like, wow. I said, really? He said, absolutely. They celebrate that the Word of God is going to be revealed. So let, let me show you this. Not to heap guilt on you in any way, right? Okay, but <laughs> let me show you how they celebrate when God's Word is being taught. Let, let's watch this. It's just 20 seconds. Oh, we need to hear it. We've got to start that over again, Jody. And we still need to hear it. Otherwise, you guys are going to have to fill it in. <laughs> okay, just imagine them shouting, right? Okay, we'll play it again next week. Okay, so let it go. See this one guy? He's seven foot two, right? He, I'm thinking MSU needs to go and do some recruiting <laughs> in Nairobi. Okay, so we've got people who are celebrating, praising, rejoicing, exalting in the glory of who Jesus is and setting a standard that caused me to shrink back and say, wow, would I do that? They didn't stop when I got up. So because they kept going, I just reached over and grabbed my phone and just started recording because I'm thinking, New Hope needs to see this because I'm expecting something from you next week, right? right. Okay. Why is Paul writing this about exalting to celebrate? This celebration that he's writing about here, this celebration is with confidence. It's based in the hope of the glory of God. Why bring it out here? Because in chapter 3 he said, we fall short of the glory of God. As a human race, we have failed. 
We sin, we're full of strife and angst and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter five, verse two, he says, and now because of Jesus, we exult in the glory of God. Not because of the prospect of what might happen. We exult, we celebrate because of the reality of what is already guaranteed, what God has committed to us. So let me give you a sneak preview of Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 in which we get further clarification. And Paul writes this, those whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also, what church? Glorified. See, it's present. It's present tense. You may not feel it right now. You can't even see it right now. But God says there's a day coming. And you're going to put on the glorification of heaven. You're going to wear it. It's going to be on you. How do we know this? Because it's, the hope is in the glory of God. See, believers have no reason to fear the future. You have every reason to celebrate it because we are secure in the hope that our ultimate destiny is found and based in the very glory of God. J.R.W. Stott is a theologian who died in 2011. He, he defined the word hope pretty thoroughly. I, I like his definition. I want to show it to you on the screen. Let me, let me share it. Christian hope is joyful and confident. Notice it's not just confident. Joyful and confident. A joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promise of God. That's good, but I'm going to go one step further. Because we live in a crazy mixed up world who are trying to define what hope looks like. They've lost the true meaning of understanding what hope is according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the hope that God brings is based in a guaranteed reality that just has not yet happened. God has promised it. It will be revealed. It has not yet been revealed. And we can guarantee it because God promised it and He never lies. He doesn't. He's not capable of lying. So you and I... If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we look forward to a future when our whole being will be illuminated by the radiance of God. That is your true identity. And it was lost through sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we exalt in the glory of God because of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible makes it clear that what was lost does not have to be permanent. It can be restored because of Jesus for the believer, it will be fully restored at the return of Jesus. When He comes again, when these mortal bodies put on immortality, when the imperishable is a reality for us because all we know is the perishable. We're surrounded by death and decay. I want to remind you through Scripture what waits in store for you. Look with me on the screen at 1 Corinthians 15. 1553, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have, been, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Yeah, it's good stuff, right? I love what Paul wrote there. Because of that change, because of the fact that you will put on immortality, you will then be fit to display God's glory. You'll be able to wear the glory that heaven brings upon you. Philippians 3.20, one more time on the screen. For our citizenship is in heaven. 
from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That's a guarantee, it sounds like to me. What about you? Does that sound like a guarantee? Absolutely. A guarantee from God. Church, let me remind you, your salvation... Your salvation in Jesus Christ is anchored in the past. A past reality Christ did on the cross. What He completed allowed you to have peace with God. He made it possible for those who trust Him. It's anchored in the present because of the ongoing work of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 talks about that. And it's anchored in the future. Why? Because God gives unchangeable promises that you will one day be clothed with His glory. So here's the four things, the four results of your justification. I want you to see them one more time. The first result is you've got peace with God. That's an effect of your justification. The second result is you've got access to the Father. The third effect of your justification is you've got security in your salvation for eternity. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. And the fourth effect is that you have a reason to celebrate. Why spend all this time focusing on just two verses? Well, one, it's Romans and I can. All right? Okay? But here's the real reason. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, Scripture says. He's looking to consume and attack. And he brings his attacks in in the most aggressive ways. One of Satan's favorite methods of attack against believers is to plant seeds of doubt about their salvation. And it sounds like this. Yeah, you've committed too much in your past. You're not acceptable. You have to do more. You don't measure up. Think about what you did last week. He plants seeds in the most aggressive ways and it comes across as whispers. He especially plants doubt about the security of your salvation for eternity. So just think about this. If the preservation of your salvation depends on what believers do or don't do, then your salvation is only as secure as your faithfulness. That's a scary thought that that puts you in the place of no security at all. That a believer has to carry on through their own power, what Jesus initiated through divine power? Man, that sounds hopeless. To counter the hopelessness of that thought, to counteract that, we have a complementary passage. The book of Ephesians, if you didn't know, is a complement to the book of Romans. The, the, The two interchange. So Ephesians, Paul finds a group of believers in this church in Ephesus who are struggling with this very issue. Am I good enough? Did did I really do it right? Am I actually secure for eternity? So Paul finds himself writing something to the church at Ephesus that echoes Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look with me on the screen at Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. There is great importance for you this morning in understanding the security, to be aware of the security that you have in Jesus. A security that depends on the surpassing greatness of His power and the strength of His might. This truth is the cornerstone of your confidence so that I can say to you and you can say to others, I am at peace with God. Therefore, I have the peace of God. Not because of my ability, but because of what He has done. And that has an immediate result here on planet Earth. I'm going to close with an illustration from Africa. I didn't intend to, but I kind of stumbled into it last night, and I thought, well, I did it for Saturday night. i got to do it for 9.15, and I did it for 9.15, and I thought, better do it for 11, otherwise I'm going to hear about it. So, so hear, hear this thought. In the midst of that video you just looked at, 90 guys gathered together, but if you look off to the left-hand side, there's a woman about yay tall, and she's got a pink blouse on, and she's old, and she's got a, a little white bonnet on her head. And I watched her with fascination because she's doing what the guys are doing. But as she moves, and, and I watched her walk around a little bit throughout the course of the day, she, she walks like this. I found out later her hips are so bad that it's bone on bone, right? And she's 75, she's dirt poor. Now at the end of the day, David Katanga says to the people who have gathered, if you would like, there is a medical team here from America and they will see you and give you a checkup and, and treat your ills. And so the pastors shuffle on down and some of them made it over there. I found out later that one of the pastors that was gathered um, had a 103 degree temperature. He's got walking pneumonia. And yet he showed up at seven in the morning so he could sit there all day long. He walked six kilometers to get there and he walked six kilometers home that night. So I'm watching them in line. I'm down there myself by 4.30, and then about 5 o'clock, here comes this lady with this bright pink blouse on and a little white bonnet, and she's doing this. And you can see her face grimacing every time she steps. David Katanga walks over to me, and he said, you see that lady there? And I said, yeah, David, I've been watching her with fascination. I don't know what the deal is. He said, well, uh, she lives in the Kawanguari ghetto, and she got saved when she was 65 years old. She's 75 years old. And that's really, really rare. Most people don't make it out of their 40s when they're living in the slums. And he said, when she got saved, she said to me, um, David, whenever there's a function here at this ministry, whenever there's something to be done, I will be there. So she shows up at daybreak. And I said, David, I saw her upstairs with the pastors. And he said, she showed up at 7 o'clock this morning so that she could walk up five flights of stairs because there's no elevator. So she had to get there an hour and a half early so she could take a step at a time and then stop and take a step and stop. I said, I am humbled by her presence. And David said, you don't know the half of it. He said, she doesn't speak a word of English. I said, what? I just taught Romans chapter one. Spent eight hours in that with those guys. He said, she loves the Word of God so much, she wanted to be present where God's Word is being taught. I can't describe for you the feeling in that moment of utter humiliation. Do I love the Word of God that much 
that in the midst of that kind of despair where people in the ghetto earn a dollar a day and they live on top of, literally, they live on top of a landfill where she shuffles through streets of garbage to make it for a conference in which she can't even speak the language it's being taught in? How do you explain that? David said to me, she's got the peace with God, right? So she comes up to me after she's seen the medical team, puts out her hand, and somebody taught her this phrase. Like I learned Akuna Matata, she learned, God bless you, pastor. And you just want to melt. And in the interior, I'm thinking, you have no idea, lady. You have no idea where I come from and the blessings that God has dumped on us in gallons. Yeah, you got a lady living in the ghetto, earning a buck a day with bone on bone in her hips. And she ascends five flights of stairs so she can be present where the word of God is taught. That is the peace with God that produces the peace of God. When you get it, when you get what Paul's talking about, that we exalt in this, it has an immediate result here on planet Earth. Because as a justified believer, you are not only free from your past guilt, you are free for a new future. And Jesus said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. God has a plan for your future. Don't get caught up and get consumed with the strife around you. You've got peace with God. Therefore, you're free for his plans for you for the future. I'm going to pray for you that way right now, that we would remember this and not forget it. Would you join me in that? Father, our hearts go towards those dear saints in Africa right now that are in Kenya. And how incredible the peace is that you've given them, that it's just so visible. And Father, I know that it's present here. And in this moment, it's, it's palpable. We, we're aware of it because we've just looked at your word which promised it. But God, there's a temptation that because of the distractions that we'll take on this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow that we will forget. So I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit for this congregation, myself included, God, that we will not forget and that we will walk in the power and the strength of your might knowing that nothing can snatch us from your hand and that we are at peace with you. Father, let us be reflectors of that, especially to this world around us that's very confused. God, I ask for that strength in the power of the Holy Spirit and the might of the great name of Jesus our Savior and all God's people said, amen. Have a powerful week, New Hope.